What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. This is Dr. Mario Sacasa, and I'm truly grateful to be able to continue to do this show. Thank you all so much for your prayers, for your support as we've made this transition. As I've said in previous episodes, we have been praying for this decision for about 15 years, and so now to be a month into our stay here in Charlotte has really been just incredible. Every day I wake up grateful for the Lord and for His gift and for His love and His kindness. And just grateful for your support, for your patience. I hope you enjoyed some of those throwback episodes that we were promoting over the last few weeks as I was trying to get settled. And But here we are, we're ready, back in the saddle. First episode coming at you from North Carolina. So what are we doing today? Well, joining me on the show is Anastasia Northrop, founder and director of the National Conference for Catholic Singles, which will be taking place uh, in September in Arlington, D.C., Arlington, kind of D.C. area. Well, in today's episode, we explore the state of singlehood in the United States today, how singles can embrace that life, how to make peace with unfulfilled desires, how to assess your life and own what are things that you can change and, and knowing how to accept things that you can't change. But then if you're going to move forward as a single person, well, what are healthy steps to take when considering dating? How to navigate certain expectations because sometimes there are things that we think that we want, but we may not necessarily know if that's exactly what we want. How do we navigate those desires and those expectations? How do we find ways of still being a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, even in singlehood? And of course, how to redeem singles ministry. We have a wonderful conversation towards the end of our episode about that and what we can do to increase pastoral outreach to singles, but then also what we can do to, to do better with singles ministries. So if you find this show helpful, please leave a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. I'm telling you, those things are incredibly helpful. People tell me that they find the show based on the algorithms and your comments, your ratings are what helps those algorithms get out to other potential listeners of the show. So if this show has been helpful for you, then please, it really helps not just me, but this show to be able to find other people who could use this episode. So if you don't feel comfortable doing that, then please just tell a friend or you know tell a family member or, or share it on social media. Please spread the word about the good work that we're doing here with Always Hope. So let's get into this conversation with Anastasia Northrop. Anastasia Northrop, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today? Well, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful to have you. This is a, a need. It's, it's, uh, we're going to have a wonderful conversation today talking about singlehood. Um, I know that in my my listeners, kind of as I was sharing with you before, we kind of started recording. Um, to my knowledge, at least to what Apple and Spotify tell me, my, my, my listeners are kind of falling in this age range of college age to kind of late 30s is kind of more or less a demographic here. And so we do a number of shows on on dating, obviously, and on relationships. Um, but I'm excited to just have this conversation about singlehood, particularly, and uh, and the good work that you do with the conference. So before we kind of get into it, just introduce yourself to the audience. Um, what, what do you got going on? Sure. Well, I've um, been working with John Paul II's message for over 20 years, and that's what inspired my work uh, with single Catholics, which I started the first national conference for single Catholics back in 2005. We held that in the Archdiocese of Denver. And we've had 20 conferences since. Our 21st conference is coming up um, in the Metro DC area uh, in September. And so we're expecting 500 people there uh, in person from all over the country. We have people coming from as far as Australia, um, so we have international and in the Philippines. So we have international um, members coming as well. And it's just very exciting because um, after 
it was actually sort of in conjunction with COVID, even though we didn't, we'd already planned to expand to study groups um, to help bring people together during the year and not just during the conference. And so that just happened to coincide with when COVID happened. And so it was very convenient because people were, you know, stuck in their homes. And so we had the online study groups, which we still have going on. Um, and then we also have a program called Relationship Ready, uh, because as we realize, all vocations come from single Catholics, right? And many of us that are single hope to be married at some point or maybe discerning a religious mm -hmm. vocation. And so this Relationship Ready program, the idea is, um, you know, why wait until you're engaged to get the marriage prep, right? Because there's so many useful school skills, you know, communication, um, other skills, understanding your, your partner, things like that that um, it would be helpful to know during the dating process and discernment process uh, before you get engaged. And so we have this program. Um, we had our first one back in the spring and we had 200 people sign up for the very first one. Um, so it was very, very exciting. So um, so yeah, yeah, we have a lot going on and it's just neat to see how God's brought about this community over the years and how we can encourage each other um, while we're single to you know live our current state fruitfully in the meantime. Amen. Amen. That's well said. It, it, I love the way you talked about it as kind of a, a preparatory stage, you know, a recognition that that certainly we all have the universal call to holiness. And even in our singlehood, uh, we should be pursuing holiness. Um, but if we have this longing, this desire to, to want to get married, then, then maintaining a sense of preparation. OK, what does that really look like? And how, what are the things that I can do even now as a single person to prepare myself you know, for marriage? Um, when I put together Dating Well, I kind of had that question in the back of my mind, you know, which is I've created the program for individuals, but and also for couples, you know, like it, it's kind of like a hybrid. It's like a, I considered it more like a, like not, not marriage prep, like a pre-marriage prep, you know, if I can say it that way, you know, premarital marriage preparation. I don't think I'm saying that right, but you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. kind of like the step before the step and, and, and trying to get people to start thinking about the things that you just articulate. It's like, okay. Like there are certain things, and this is a lesson for all of us. There are certain things that are, that are within my control and there are certain things that are not within my control. And sometimes my singlehood is not within my control because I can't, you know, find the right person. Um, but there are certainly some things within my control that I can be, you know, kind of attentive to. So where are the areas of growth that happen within my own heart? What are the things that I should be, you know, how do I get myself ready for the relationship? Like, like you just said, like the, the, the title of your program. Um, so I think that's a great encouragement, you know, for people to just not fall into a sense of, um, I don't know, despondency, I guess is the word I'm thinking about, you know, but recognizing that there's still something that we can, that we do have some say in and, and honing in on what that is, um, even if the larger picture doesn't look exactly the way that we want, but there's still things within myself that I can kind of give myself towards. Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think it's usually not the way that we want or planned or thought or <laughs> at least that, that my experience <laughs> sure sure i get it i get it I, I mean we all do if we're all honest we all have moments in our life that have long held prayers um that that go unanswered or um um anyways just the things 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 that we'll be diving into certainly for today um yeah. and i okay. will just say too go like ahead. i'm being the oldest of, of nine children um i thought i would be married by my 20s for sure and have at mm -hmm. least six children and you know, that's not how my life has gone. And I still see like it's been difficult, I admit, because I, I really thought this would just happen like it did for my parents. Right. Mm. Um, and I loved having a big family. So I wanted to provide that for my own children. Um, but I see God's faithfulness and the fruitfulness in what he's done in my own life over these years of being single, too. So I think we have to 
hold on to that, that, you know, he is our ultimate bridegroom and our fulfillment is in Christ first. And I think maybe if I had gotten married sooner, um, I would have been looking for fulfillment in marriage in a way that was not healthy or helpful to my spouse, you know, because only Christ can offer that. Yeah, that maybe. I mean, who knows? We, we, we don't, we don't know the answers to that question. You know, what, 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 what we would have been like had things gone a little differently, but what can be said is that you did take this, um, longing that you had and, and turned it into a pastoral outreach. And, and that may not have happened had you gotten married, you know, at an sure. earlier age sure, that yes. we can kind of say, you know, that to say that, you know, just in terms of the, the, we often create things, you know, like even when they say like, like you know, counseling research, you know, pe- the question always at when people are doing their, um, their dissertations is that they say, well, just make sure the research isn't me search, you know, like that's, you have to make sure that there's, there's an, there's, there is an element, but we all kind of end up drawn the questions that we ask do- in our doctoral dissertations. I can ask, I can honestly say most of them, you know, we're all the things that we're interested in. And so similar when it comes to kind of ministries and things, you know, the, the places that we see outreach often comes out of our own needs and our own desires. And, um, and sometimes God allows those things for, for that bigger purpose. Um, that doesn't, that's not meant to objectify certainly or discredit the longing that you had, but, but what can be said is that you did, you did, um, you did do something with it and, uh, and look at what you've created, you know, which is really beautiful to create this ministry and this outreach to these two, to singles across the country and, and throughout. So well done. All right. So let's, let's back this up a little bit. Okay. Um, here we go. Okay. So the, the research, let's look at the research. Okay. Cause I got a PhD, so I always have to kind of quote research a little bit, right? Cause that's the way this thing works. Awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually from the counseling, counseling, the counseling website, you know, the American counseling association, they had an article that came out, uh, December of last year, which was kind of a brief synopsis of what the Pew research center, uh, put out in November of last year, 2021. So the Pew research center is looking at, at studies that they did from 2019. And uh, this is what they're finding. They're finding that 38% of American adults between the ages of 25 and 54 were not married or living with a romantic partner. That is an increase from 29%, um, sorry, not an increase of 29%. It was tw- that, that number, single, young, single Americans 25 to 54 was 29% in 1990. It's 38% now uh, in, 20, in 2019. So in almost 30 years, we're seeing an increase of singles. And so then the question becomes, well, well then what's going on? Why? Some of it is that the, the, um, the age of marriage has, 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 has increased, but it's kind of plateaued. It's, 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 it's a little bit higher in the late 20s, um, early 30s is kind of age of, of first marriage now. Um, but we're seeing more than that is uh, just that the number of, of people who just total number of marriages as a whole, it continues to decrease. So we're seeing an increase in singlehood, um, an increase in, in um, the age of marriage, a decrease of marriage. But even, but even that's not even, so what the, what the research also shows here is that what people say, well, people are just living together. They're actually not. So from 1990, uh, the, the percentage of people who were living together cohabitating was 4%. That only increased to 9% in 2019. So the increase of cohabitation, one would think, well, then it's the number of, of people just cohabitating as opposed to getting married. They're actually, that's not what the increase is happening. It's just that people are just living single, you know, and the 90s theme song just went into my head when I said that, you know, we are living 
sing along. I'm not gonna be like Father Josh and sing like, you know, songs or whatever. So <laughs> I'm gonna stop that. But that really just went to my head. Okay, anyways, so we'll go back to this. So it's what we're seeing then is an increase of, of people living, just being single. Um, uh, there is some increase in cohabitation, but not enough to account the, the difference. Um, and we're seeing also some increase in terms of age of, of marriage, but again, not totality, uh, age of first marriage, I should say. That's kind of plateauing. But what we are seeing is just a decrease in marriage and an increase in people who are living um, you know, by themselves or living with roommates or living with their parents or something of that nature, but they're not living in a, in a domestic partnership, in a, in a marriage or even you know, in, in cohabitation. Um, so that's kind of where we're at as a country. Um, this is some, what are your thoughts, Anastasia? I know you got lots of thoughts about this. So, uh, <laughs> what, 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 do you, what, what are you thinking right now? Yeah, no, I thought about this for a long time, and I think there's different um, cultural aspects that contribute to it. Um, and in my talk on why are we still single, I talk about the seven C's of self centered singleness, not because all singles are self centered, but because I think our culture really breeds a, um, a self centeredness in us, whether we realize it or not. And so I think some aspects like, you know, having your career, that there's a focus on your career, that being, you know, the most important thing, especially when you're going through college. And even when you get out, you know, into the world, like, you know, climb the corporate ladder um, or women feeling like they if they don't have aspirations for a career, that they're not as good as other women who do. Um, there's that pressure as well. I mean, honestly, I just wanted to get married, and have a bunch of kids. So I don't know what that <laughs> might be. But <laughs> anyway, um, so. I, that's one aspect. I think um, the whole aspect of um, what I call, well, I call it cows in my talk, you know, but it's basically why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free, right? So our whole culture of sexual promiscuity that's not saved for marriage, um, that doesn't really inspire people to get married. And that affects Catholics as well. And not just, you know, the general culture, it's, it's kind of part of it. Um, the aspect of uh, our individualism in the culture. Um, I use kind of the C word of just culture for that, but um, we're really taught that, you know, this uh, American individualism, which sounds good, but when it comes down to it, I think we forget that we need community uh, and that we're, we're communal beings. We're made in the image of God, who is a trinity, a communion of persons. And so we, we really need others. And so we're not as quite as independent as we think, you know, so those are, um, just a few of them uh, that I think are contributing. Also choices, you know, I think, um, as I heard in some of your previous podcasts, and I like to talk about as well, I think people think that, you know, they see the online dating sites and I have lots of friends and, you know, my own brother who met his wife on Catholic Match. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, but we have to be careful when we get on a site like that and we look at the, you know, all these people on there, you just think, oh, I have this huge buffet of people and, you know, I can't possibly discern the right one until I've, you know, dated, you know, all these people. And then you think, oh, well, if this relationship doesn't work out, I can just log on and get an upgrade, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of this shopping mentality. So I think we have to be really careful that um, when we're, we're doing that, we see these people as, you know, like JP2, uh, these are all in the image of God. These are all unique individual persons. And um, make sure we, we're not objectifying. So there's a lot that's, I think, going on. Okay, there's a, there's a lot that you just threw out there. So let's let's kind of break this apart, okay? So the first one, kind of a grouping here of, of questions of culture, and, and particularly when you talk about career. Um, it, so I think it's a, 
it's a question of um, of a change in values and a change of um, of how we how do I say this um, of what our, yeah what our values really but more than that what our ideals are as a society where it used to be where the ideal as you said you know early you kind of said it sheepishly I just wanted to you know be married and have lots of kids as if like you need to apologize for that like that was that was an ideal um, that was that was maintained for many, many years and a beautiful ideal at that. Um, but that, that vision has been distorted um, because I think in some ways it's been viewed as, as um, culturally it's been viewed negatively in the sense that like somehow this is an oppressive ideal for, for women. Um, but, but there's that piece. But then even more so, like there is also some of the good that's come out of feminism in the modern feminist, you know, kind of, um, um, you know, v- values and thinking is that we, we do now recognize and see, of course, that the women have their competencies and have a place. Uh, because it, when that was the only ideal, there would be a sense of shame if, if, if you weren't married and didn't have kids. But now I think it's fine to say that we do have um, other, other options, so to speak, you know, that women can express themselves and find themselves in the workplace and can be meaningful in careers um, and, and contribute meaningfully to, to the betterment of society and offer their feminine hearts and their their skills and their, their gifts, you know, in in other ways, but uh-huh. as a society, we've we've lost a, what could have been a, a, a harmony or a balance in that. Um, we've kind of upended it. Where now now it's the opposite. Like you and you were saying this, which is that the career mentality has now become the dominant mentality, and that okay. the family mentality is something that we can just kind of suppress, or we can say, well, we can do this later. We can do this later. We can do this later. And we got to focus on the career because that that becomes the, the the most meaningful way that I can contribute, you know, to society. And again, this isn't just individuals. We're talking about kind of at a cultural level, kind of a, at, a, at a broader level. This is kind of the way we've conceptualized these things now. And um, and I think that that's that's problematic um, because there are ways, you know, that we can that we can find balance with both um, where we can encourage career and family. Um, it is challenging for sure, but we just don't. You know, you don't go to college. Very few college classes are teaching how to be a good husband, you know, or how to be a good wife. You know, you're not you're not learning uh, those skills anymore, you know, in a formal way. Um, and that just speaks again more and more to this 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 focus on on career um, that that becomes the the what's the word? It's the highest value. Like the the only way that I can pr- that I can be a productive member of my of my tribe, of my community, of my culture is is by producing. And um, and we just have to caution a, a utilitarianism that kind of emerges in that. Um, so, like you said, I'm sure not. I'm sure many uh, young Catholic singles aren't aren't necessarily ascribing to that. But I mean, myself included, right? Even as a married man, we're all swimming in those waters. So we all have to be a little bit attentive to the fact that, like, yeah, you know, this productivity stuff can kind of get in the way. Um, so, anyways, so any more thoughts on that? You know, in terms of just kind of how we can find that tension, that balance, you know, between maybe reorienting the value set, you know, even, even if our culture has kind of, has kind of lost its, its, its priorities. Yeah. I mean, I think the, um, one of the other aspects that I talk about is comfort. And I think we can, um, the awareness of what's going on, I think is, is helpful. Number one. And then number two, just looking at ourselves and our own lives and saying, okay, how am I being affected by the culture? How's that affecting my mindset? Um, and I think John Paul II's message is very um, 
helpful with that. It has been in my own life, and that's kind of the basis of my work as well uh, with the conference is, is that was a, kind of the foundation of it is, you know, what does it mean to be male and female and have a good relationship? And then how can that help us, you know, in our lives, whether we end up getting married or even living long term as a single person, you know, we, we want to be fruitful and that brings us joy. And, and so I think that's that's super important. But um, yeah, just that realizing that need for community, we're not mm-hmm. independent, we're not, um, uh, we, we need others. And also that our joy comes from communion with others in relationship Like whatever we accomplish in our lives, it's more joyful if it's shared with somebody and whether that's the spouse or whether that's other friends in our lives, whether that's your church community, um, family, you know, extended family, whatever that is, I think knowing that it's good to prioritize that and not feeling ashamed of, you know, making that a priority and having kind of a work-life balance when it comes to, you know, our careers and such, I think that can be, can, can be super helpful. And also just looking and saying, am I getting comfortable? Because relationships can be challenging. And so mm-hmm. sometimes it can be easier, you know, to be, be able to yourself. do what we want when we yeah. want and not have to worry about somebody else's input right. or emotions or, you know, all that kind of thing. So, um, so how, so do, you, how do you balance that? How do you, how do you as, a, as a single person, you know, how do you advise other single people? And even in your own life, how have you found that, you know, that kind of self reflection of, well, this isn't necessarily the life that I want. You know, I don't want to be single. I know a lot of people, you know, who, who say that to me. Um, and, and, but you're right. There is an element of comfort, you know, in being by yourself also, you know, you can go out to eat whenever you want, you can do whatever you want. Um, but how do you find that balance? How do you, how do you, how do you strike that tension, you know, between those? Well, I, being from a big family, I do have several siblings that are married and, so I do love spending time with my nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have friends that I enjoy, you know, having good conversations. Um, I enjoy outdoor things like hiking. I like dancing. Um, I haven't done a lot of that since COVID. I need to get back into it. But um, so there's, yeah, there's just um, a lot of ways that I find. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing like nieces and nephews to love you, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And it, I, I struggle with work-life balance myself sometimes and just um, especially doing ministry work it's easy to let it consume you mm-hmm. and so i've realized the importance of for my own health and sanity you know <laughs> mm-hmm. exercise prayer life family relationships things like that yeah but surrounding yourself with with community you know i think you're saying this also when you're talking about your seven c's that sometimes because of the culture um because we kind of have this this shift in these priorities um we we think that we can also get the goods of marriage or the goods of family life, we can, we've kind of fragmented them out, you know, and I think that's kind of what you're alluding to with the, you know, um, just a sexual promiscuity. Okay. So we can just, we can just hook up, you know, whenever we want, or we could just find friends, you know, with a bar or, or not just be like that, but you know, colleagues could, could genuine friendships, you know, that can be formed. Um, but that like, we've just kind of fragmented out, you know, the, the goods of marriage and family life where, where it was meant to be a whole meant to be a unity. Now, again, like I, I understand culturally, this is kind of the way that we're, we're, we're viewing things, but I always want to go back to like the individual, like I'm sure single and you probably, this is what I was saying earlier. I'm sure that you recognize that, you know, a lot of Catholic singles agree with the things that we're talking about and agree with like the, the challenges of the culture and agree with the fact that, yeah, there's this fragmentation that's happening, but, but they're living it, you know, and, and they're living in a state um, that they may not want to be in right now 
Um, and so again, how, how do you advise kind of seeing a fruitfulness, um, in, even in singlehood, you know, in seeing that, that, that life givingness, uh, of the life, uh, of being a single person? Uh, I would say that it's important to be intentional and look at one's own life and say, okay, how am I spending my time? Am I allotting time specifically, um, not only for friendships and, um, relationships and things and also you know just health and your your physical health and relationship with god which is super important you know adoration math confession um but also you know what about outreach how am i serving others um one of the neat um, ministries that's uh, been a sponsor of the conference and kind of grew out of the conference many years ago is called serving god's kids and it's a they do mission trips to serve at an orphanage in mexico and just realizing that when we serve, there's there's joy in that, and we um, also gain a lot ourselves. But I, I think it when we can make a difference, then we realize our lives are fruitful, even if we're it's not necessarily biologically fruitful with children in the moment. You know, because like I said, I always wanted to have a big family, and you know that's not a reality for me. And but seeing that my work and my gift of self is fruitful in other ways is very rewarding and fulfilling, and so and, and brings joy. So I think looking for ways that we can be fruitful and helpful in other people's lives, and even just like the whole aspect of um, uh, spiritual motherhood and spiritual fatherhood, you know, whether we're godparents um, or, you know, helping teach RCIA or teach Sunday school, or even just in our own daily lives, like we can be spiritual parents in a way to people that are of the same age that we are, you know, just by um, maybe women, like the whole aspect of nurturing, listening, offering guidance, um, comforting, um, being there for somebody with men, you know, with spiritual fatherhood, the whole aspect of initiating and, you know, maybe in, encourage, encouraging um, uh, kind of like a, a leadership or guidance or offering um, support to other people. Like there's different ways that we can live out that, that spiritual parenthood that really John Paul II said, you know, in love and responsibility, he said that all of us are called to that regardless of our state in life. We're all called to spiritual parenthood, which is a fruit of our mature relationship with him. So with Christ. Um, so, so yeah, I think that that's one way anyway, that we can, um, kind of live that fullness. Correct. Now those things, obviously as a single person, there has to be a high degree of intentionality, you know, to go seek those things out. So as a parent, obviously like the, the, the blessing and the curse of it is that it, it, it it rips it out of you, you know, like right. when, <laughs> when there's, when there's a child crying, you know, in the middle of the night, it's like, okay, I got to get up now. You know, I got to go, I got to go do this. Um, or when your kids are making comments that are completely absurd and, uh, you're trying to bite your tongue to not just kill their ego, you know, as they're trying to <laughs> promulgate, you know, how smart they are, how much smarter they are than you, you know, that, that those acts of charity and those little deaths of self, they find you as a parent, you know, they come to okay. you. <laughs> and so not that they don't come to you as a single person, certainly, but, but there has to be a heightened degree of intentionality, you know, to say, well, I want to, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, um, believe that even as a single person, I'm called to a spiritual fatherhood and a spiritual motherhood, then I need to put myself in environments where that is, 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 um, is, pulled from me is, is, is fortified in me. You know, I guess the, the analogy I'm thinking about, is kind of like, it's like exercise. Like if you're in a job 
I don't know, maybe this is kind of a, a bad analogy, but you think of like a, like a, like a fireman or somebody, you know, that you have to be physically fit as part of the job, you know, to kind of do it. But if you're in a job like, so, so like part of the job is that you have to be physically fit. So naturally you're going to be going to the, you're going to be working out, you can do the things you have to do because that's what it is. But like, you know, I'm a therapist, whether I weigh a buck 80 or 480 really doesn't matter, you know, in terms of, in terms of the quality of the work, right. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter a whole, whole lot. So like for me, like it has to be like a, like it has to be a value. It has to be like a heightened degree of intentionality to say like, okay, I don't want to be sitting on the couch for five hours today. That means I need to make sure that I'm walking or running or, or doing those things that are taking care of my physical body as well. And so in that regard, you know, it's what I'm trying to say that it's like, like you, if, if you know, this is something that's good for you, um, then you have to be intentional in how you seek that out. And so that's the way you're able to curb and recognize and say, okay, like, yeah, it's great. We have singles ministry. It's wonderful that you have community. It's wonderful that you have um, a, a sense of, 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 you know, friendships and, and are able to, to connect with people at a social level. And that's wonderful. That's healthy. Absolutely. But social only, only goes so far. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is that, like, you also have to have a service element, too. And in trying to give of yourself in something particular, um, whether that is these orphanages that you're speaking about or helping ministries, um, as you've done, you know, in, in your life, um, or volunteering on boards or some other type of, uh, civic leadership activities as well. Because when you have that extra time, you know, are, are you going to be, um, just kind of watching movies and, 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 you know, playing games or, or are you going to be doing something with that time? still investing yourself, um, in a way that is, that is not just productive, um, but is fruitful, fruitful to you and fruitful to the people that, that, that you're giving yourself to. Um, are, are you, yeah. Any more thoughts on that? What, what are you thinking? Well, I, I mean, also the other thing that comes to mind as far as intentionality is, um, not only the, how, how you live fruitfully in that way, but, uh, one of the other seven C's that I talk about is counterfeits. And I think we have a counterfeit view of the body of sexuality of love. Um, we think that, you know, if our relationships aren't like fantastic 24 seven, then maybe it's not the right one. Maybe mm -hmm. I should date somebody else. Um, or the idea that, uh, if there's any suffering involved, then that means that there's something wrong. You know, I think the gym is the only place that we allow the suffering is okay. And then we know, oh, we have to suffer, you know, to get <laughs> no pain, <laughs> no gain, <laughs> but otherwise you think, oh yeah, there must be something wrong if there's some degree of, of suffering, but that's obviously necessary for love. And I think too, uh, because of the high divorce rate in the culture that we've grown up in, whether you're, you know, um, a child of divorce or you've been through a divorce, like this, these wounds all affect us. Or even again, the culture of, you know, why buy the cow? We can get the milk for free. If, um, if we haven't lived chastity our whole lives, any of these sorts of things that can cause woundedness in us and cause fears and um, you know, concerns about advancing into a new relationship, not wanting to risk, you know, I love that quote from C.S. Lewis that says, you know, basically love is a, a risk. I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. got to look up the exact quote, but, um, if we don't want to risk getting heartbroken, then we can just wrap our lives in the coffin of our selfishness and our hobbies and things like that. And then he says, basically your heart will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, unredeemable. It's like this really powerful hmm. quote that he says. Um, and, uh, and so I think we have to be careful that we don't let 
uh, be intentional that we don't let our hearts um, be live in fear or live in um, uh, also the complacency perhaps, but uh, or or have false views of kind of what love is all about. And it is risky. It's an adventure. It takes courage. Um, it takes selflessness. You know all these things, and that's what makes the joy. Um, that's the joy of love too. You know that's what Here, makes it worthwhile. Here's your quote. I found it for you. All right, this is from the Four Loves. So uh, C.S. Lewis says, "To love at all is to be vulnerable." Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, ir irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Is that your quote? Yep. <laughs> I love the internet. We could just look it up real quick. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 powerful. Let's just take a quick break here from my conversation with Anastasia Northrope to invite you to check us out at faithinmarriage.org. If you're looking for a speaker to come to your diocese, your parish, or your school and looking for some topics, well, myself and my partner in crime at Will Woods, Jason Angelette, we're available to come give some lectures related to theology of the body, sexuality, marriage, how to pray together in marriage, um, pornography digital parenting, all sorts of topics that we are very well equipped to be able to speak on related to family life in the modern context. So if you're interested in inviting myself or Jason to come to one of your events or, or somebody you want somebody to come to your parish or school to give a talk, we're happy to come. Uh, please check us out at faithinmarriage.org for more information about that and to be able to contact us directly. Okay, so so let's break this up. Okay, so we started talking about you know kind of cultural questions, and and how culture certainly its its priorities have shifted. Um, the way that we consider or conceive of marriage is is something that's kind of going down the the the, the rung of values and of priorities, putting career and productivity above family and community, um, and so recognize that we're all kind of swimming in those waters, and that's one possible reason for 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 singlehood. Well, it is one reason for singlehood, but another aspect of so that's a cultural kind of question but let's kind of go to the more interior space and the more reflective space which is kind of the question that you're asking or starting to propose here which is how much of and this we also be honest with you know not in a judgment way not in a condemnation or a shame inducing way but if we take an honest assessment of our singleness some of it certainly is circumstantial that we haven't been able to find the right person but what aspect of it is may also be contributed to my own um my own fears or my own pickiness or my own um, lack of vulnerability or fear, you know, to, to be open, you know, as, as C.S. Lewis is saying here in this quote, how, how do you help somebody to navigate that, you know, where, where maybe it's easy to deflect and say, well, it's just a culture. That's the reason why. Certainly that's an aspect of it. But, but that can also be dismissive of the real work that has to happen in your interior life to say, well, well, maybe there's something within me 
that has prevented me, you know, from, from moving forward. Again, not in judgment, um, not, not in condemnation, but rather with a sense of, of humility and a posture of humility to say, well, where, where in this singlehood is God calling me to grow, you know, as a person? How do you find that balance again? Or what, what would you say to people kind of as they're asking those types of questions? Yeah, I mean, I would just say, you know, to, to number one, take a look at it, like you said, but then um, and just be honest and be um, kind of like open with the Lord too. And like, Lord, show me what areas could be affecting why I'm still single, the, you know, the situation. And one of our um, speakers that I think you may know, um, Dr. Dan and Bethany Miola, they mm-hmm. were um, our last session of Relationship Ready and they work with their life-giving wounds, adult children of divorce. Um, they had a fantastic presentation about different things they've seen, uh, different trends that can come into a relationship or um, the, the people that are single can experience because of being children of divorce. And so um, I think it's this this courage to go deep, this courage to be um, vulnerable and and just see what could be contributing to you know my still being single or even listening to your your podcast with um dr roy salgado you know that he was like yeah i had to stop looking for what was wrong in all of the women i would meet right instead like look at what's good and what's beautiful about that and and we can't even realize that there's expectations that we have in our lives mm-hmm. that are not um not fruitful you know and i i think being my parents have been married for 47 years and so I've seen their marriage, the ups and downs, and, you know, they have a good marriage, but like any couple, they've had their struggles. And, and I've seen other, you know, working with Theology of the Body, I've had the, the um, privilege of just meeting a lot of different couples and hearing their stories. And so, you know, you know that marriage takes work, but it's so worth it uh, in the end. And so I think that, you know, you go deeper through that, right? Because we, if we look at the hard times in our lives, we realize we become stronger because of them or more compassionate because of them mm-hmm. or closer to the people that we endured, you know, whatever maybe challenging situation, if you were with other people in it, that you can become closer to those people. And, and so I think just that realization and then just having the courage to, to go there, I think is super important and seeking healing. Like there's so many, if you look in the church, there's different programs and and that um, or opportunities that we can go to to receive that inner healing. I think seeking those out is important as well. And that God works and He comes and He He's there in that situation, um, and He does bring healing. And yeah, it's it's a tricky balance, you know. And I say that you know legitimately. I mean, like I think any of us um, who have had long held desires, and um, and I so I, I'll say you know my own life. You know, we're we're recording this literally a couple of days before we moved to Charlotte, you know, North Carolina. Um, this episode will, will air after that, of course, because I'm not going to have time to edit it before that happens. But, um, but like that, you know, we moving back to North Carolina, anybody who's listened to the show, anybody who's listened to me talk just knows that like, that's just a long held desire that, that my wife and I have had. And, uh, and we've tried on many different circumstances, you know, try to get back there and we've, We've even let the desires go, and we're like, okay, and the Lord, like, this just this is it, you know, let's just kind of accept this, and and the Lord reminds us that you know life isn't just about necessity, um, life isn't just about getting through, and I think that sometimes is the temptation when we when we have these unmet desires um, is to just a, a, a abandon them or let them go. Um, but the Lord doesn't ask us to do that. I think the Lord asks us to purify those desires 
to really then determine like what really is of him, which ones are coming from him and which ones aren't. Because if we stay true to the ones that are really coming from him, then I believe that the pursuit of those, even if there's obstacles or cultural forces or events or things of that nature that get in the way of that, the pursuit of those desires are still certainly, you know, what's going to lead us to a greater sense of healing, a greater sense of understanding of ourselves. And so I think there's a challenge for any single person, which is to say, okay, like I can accept and acknowledge that there are, are real external factors, you know, in my singlehood. There are real factors that have contributed to this. Um, and, and, and that's, 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 that, that's the hardship, you know, that's, that's part of it. Um, but what do I do with that? Well, I can, I can pray. I can bring that suffering to the Lord. I can bring that grief to the Lord. I can invite Jesus to be present within that, to be vulnerable with him, to rest with him and to continue to pray, you know, that this, this desire may come to its fruition. But then, as I said earlier, you know, but then at the same time, we have to then take a, a humble acknowledgement of, okay, well, what, what can I do? Okay. So what are the things I can do going out on dates, putting myself out there, um, going a Catholic match or Ave Maria singles or any of the, or even secular ones like match.com, um, you know, going, going on, uh, websites or, you know, allowing myself to be set up, you know, maybe we can go too far like that episode with, with Dr. Roy at Salgado. I think he talked about, you know, he went to like an aggressive, aggressive dating phase or something like that. I think is what he said, you know, and yeah. recognizing that he just was like, well, I'm just going to date, you know, whatever, whoever, let's just kind of keep going. And uh, that can have its own challenges, but, but it, you know, you're doing something, you're doing something, maybe it's kind of curtailing that. And then the third piece is this kind of sense of, okay, like, well, what are my expectations when it comes to dating? Because there may be times where, you, like you said, maybe our expectations of, of what our future spouse or future, um, you know, partner spouses is going to look like may not be what happens in actuality. And, um, and I talk about this in the dating, in my dating well course, you know, that we all have a list. We all have a template of things that we're kind of looking for. It's good to, you know, look at what that list is. And there are certainly things that are non-negotiables. Absolutely. But there might be some things that we may thought were non-negotiable, but actually are negotiable. And so, <laughs> exactly. so the only, and, and that's a tricky one, right? Because the only way that you actually learn that is by, is by the context of another person, because then you might meet somebody and then you're like, I never thought I'd date somebody who was five, seven in brunette, you know, because I was, you know, six foot and blonde or something, something that's more superficial in terms of physical, you know, but something like that. Sometimes we have those type of, you know, expectations or, or, um, or personal histories, you know, of, that people have or life experiences or personalities or those type of things. Like sometimes we have to allow ourselves to be surprised by, by who we date. And that's the place of, of vulnerability. I think that's the place of that, that can be challenging um, because there's no easy way of being able to decide or determine, well, which non-negotiables are genuine non-negotiables and which non-negotiables are just expectations that I'm placing. How am I supposed to know that? You know, and this podcast should answer that. So anybody who's listening to this and is disappointed right now, I'm sorry that the only <laughs> way, that we don't, I don't have the answer for you outright, except to say that it's discernment and that you need a good spiritual director and go to counseling to work these things out. Um, and to not be afraid to put yourself out there so that you can actually get to some clarity within your heart as to, as to what's going on. Because then when you have that clarity, you can have peace. And, mm -hmm. and then you can say, okay, yeah. there are real things that have happened that I can grieve, that I can mourn, that I can let go of, that I can accept as, as part of my story. Um, but then there's also places within me that I can also look at with, with a sense of vulnerability and a sense of confidence to say, okay, I, I need to work on this. I need to massage some of these expectations. I need to 
I need to need to change what my thinking is, you know, when it comes to this scenario. And and then the third piece out of that is to say, okay, what can I do, um, even in the midst of circumstances that I'm in? Um, I think that's a template for any single person. I think that's a template for anybody who has a long held desire uh, that isn't that isn't being fulfilled um, to the degree or to the, the the speed upon which that we wish that it was. Exactly. Well, and you know, my parents, my mom would always said that my dad is not the kind of guy she thought she would marry. So in my mind, I've, you know, been open to that. Mm-hmm. My expectations, my reality being different than the, you know, my expectations. Um, but I think this whole aspect of receptivity and receiving what's given is super important. You know, what, who are the people that God has put in our lives? Uh, and, and instead of thinking we can, can control everything, like the last C that I talk about is um, actually contraception because I basically, I think it, it it can be argued that the sort of this contraceptive mentality in our culture has led to the singleness that we have the, the, in our culture now. Even if we're not using contraception, we still have maybe have this mentality of that, well, I can control things. I can get married when I want. I can have kids when I want, all, all this kind of thing. And um, really, I think it's more a matter of like, what what is in our lives? How can we receive the reality that's given us? And um, that's a much more fruitful way to, you know, to proceed. I mean, if you think about it, like my grandparents' time, I mean, I sort of imagine this, that, you know, when they were looking to get married, they didn't have the internet or anything like that. And some didn't even go to college. So, you know, they may look around their hometown or their, their parish and be like, well, you know, there's, you know, um, Sally and Betty and Mary, and they're all lovely ladies. And maybe I'll, you know, women, I'll take them out all on a date. And, you know, I really like Mary. And so maybe I better, you know, date her and pop the question before Bob down the street gets around to it, you know? So that's, you know, their expectations were, were more limited. Um, and, and so I think that that's kind of important for us to remember that, that we're, we're dating real human beings and mm. not movie stars and, you know, actors and actresses or people on billboards. <laughs> right, 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 right. But and I think that's the key, even when it comes to like online dating is to be reminded that that is a person that it's not just a profile, it's not just a set of pictures and words, but that that's a person um, who is there. And so when you're connecting with that person, just doing that, you know, recognizing that it is a person. And so that's the challenge, like you said earlier, when we can fall into a consumerism, even when it comes to dating, that, well, if this person, if this if this relationship doesn't give me exactly what I'm looking for, well, I can always just kind of replace it and, and get somebody else, you know, an upgrade, like you said. when. Um, and that's an objectification, you know, of, of anybody. So wanting to be sensitive to that, or those any of those movements within our own heart. So, Anastasia, I also wanted to shift here just for for the last few minutes that we have of our show. I really want to talk about something else. You know, well, not something else. We're, we're talking about singlehood in its various forms. But you know, th- this is a as we've said, it's a pastoral need. If we're talking about, okay, so thirty eight percent of Americans now, um, ages whatever it was twenty to fifty four, are single in this country, and and of them few not not there's just single maybe nine percent of that of that number um are people who are living with somebody else but the majority of that are people who are who are um, who are living single with friends or at the parents house how as a church do we minister to that demographic and uh what are we doing well and what can we do better um, with singles outreach in the church that's a great question i mean my experience in talking to singles is is that a lot of people feel that they're unseen that they're invisible uh, and maybe it's because 
and you know, in a certain sense, rightly so. The church has always been, you know, um, a big proponent and supporter of marriage and family, but I think slow to realize that uh, that's not the norm anymore for for everybody. And so, yes, um, you, we should be preaching homilies, you know, for families and married couples and things like that. But I think it's super important that the priest acknowledge, oh, there's you know, single people in my my congregation. So when I'm preaching a homily, you know, at least touch on that or or address it or even, you know, just mention it. And so uh, so single people don't feel like they're sort of like non-existent and invisible. Um, and I think too, though, as singles, we can't just put it upon the church to be like, well, the church should do this or the church should do that. You know, we can take some initiative on our own parish. Um, unfortunately, Let's just be honest. The word "singles" is some a word that I think people are allergic to. They yes. think it means it's like some. Yes, unfortunately, you know. <laughs> singles ministry is like. Ugh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be disrespectful. Don't tell me about it. <laughs> I don't, I don't hey, mean to be I'm, disrespectful, but, but it just feels like it. It just. Anyways, I don't mean to interrupt you. You keep going, and I'll share my. No, I. <laughs> hey, the word "singles" it's like been the bane of my existence for the last you know 18 years, having a conference with the word "singles" in it because yes. people think it's like some awkward meat market thing. Yes, that's it. That's exactly it. Just because like, that's exactly you feel that's exactly that's the word. It feels like this like meat market. It's like, hey, we're getting together to meet people just because I'm going to be looking for a spouse. You know, that's this. This is what it is, which just makes the whole thing so uncomfortable. You know. Uh, yeah. and, and kind of artificial, you know, because it puts this unnecessary pressure on our gathering uh, to be somehow this this place where uh, magic is going to happen, you know, and you're kind of expecting it or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too trite, but yeah. but I think that's, well, hey, that's my experience. The, the great thing is, is that the conference, for example, and our study groups, it's not you know, a, a meat market. It's more like, hey, we're coming together for the formation. Mm -hmm. We're coming together for growing in faith, you know, mm -hmm. because we have mass, adoration, confession, opportunity for the rosary. I mean, it's almost like a big retreat. And then we have, you know, social functions as well. And we get to meet other people in a um, comfortable environment. And so I think if people can do that, you know, that's for our conference and obviously our online study groups. We also have an app that people are active on all the time. We have like prayer intentions. We have, you know, events. We have you know, discussion groups, things like that. And I think this makes it a very community oriented um, environment. And in that environment, though, people do still have to make the effort to be like, okay, if I'm going to get married, if I'm going to enter this beautiful sacrament of marriage, uh, this is one sacrament that takes two people. So I need somebody else to enter it with. And so it's really okay to be seeking somebody to marry as well. So it's weird. You have to like, it's a mm -hmm. tightrope. You have to not objectify people as just potential future spouse. Um, but, and you have to see them as persons and embrace who they are. But then at the same time, you have to not be afraid to, to be like, yeah, I, I would like to meet somebody that I can marry, you know? So it's, yeah, it's kind of this hard tightrope. But, um, the neat thing is, is that it just to see the beauty in the conference and the community that, that is there and the, the encouragement that people offer to each other. And, um, it's, you know, it's the body of Christ. And so I think if we try to bring that down too to a local level, you know, the people can, have in parishes. I mean, I would say that sometimes it's hard to get the people that just in your parish, right, that are single. I think sometimes you have to expand out. And there are some um, ministries, for example, one in California that does it well in San Diego, where it's kind of a um, diocesan wide or a network of multiple parishes that bring people together. And then you can, you know, get more single people um, together. And sometimes it's like more focused on a certain age group. And sometimes it's a wider age group. Um, and I think, 
So doing that is very helpful. And then also like we can make efforts to be integrated too into what's going on um, with couples and families in the parishes as well. You know, whether that's being in Bible studies with other other people or doing mission projects or volunteer work. Um, I think it's important for us as singles to, to be around couples and families and see what real marriage is like, or maybe offer to babysit for our friends' kids, you know, become close, build relationships with other people, um, you know, with other families and things like that. That can be really valuable too, and valuable for the kids. You know, you know, if, if let's say you're the adopted aunt and, you know, Aunt Anastasia comes over, right? And, um, you know, and, and that's just, the kids have a special bond with you and you play with them while mom makes dinner. There's something very beautiful in that. And they look to you as an a, adult figure that they can, you know, ask questions or rely on even growing up. And so there are just all these ways that we can do things as singles ourselves because we're adults, right? And so I think it's important for the church to recognize it and dioceses and parishes to just be really aware of the fact that they have a single population and um, to address them and to acknowledge them. And I mean, think about it. A lot of people in volunteer work are single and I mm -hmm. think people just don't realize it. Um, and they're giving of their time already. And so there, there's that awareness on that end. And then also our initiative too, as singles in the church to be reaching out and also to be spreading awareness, having conversations and saying, yeah, it's important that we as singles have community. Um, you know, or if you're married, invite, invite single people you know over for dinner because they don't often have that community dinner experience. You know, we don't go out every night with our friends to a restaurant. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, those are just some, some ideas. Okay. So it's good in terms of parish stuff, but then even a more immediate local stuff, like if you're a family, being attentive to who singles are and, and inviting them over for dinner, just trying to share the family life, you know, with, with people that, that you know. Um, you know, the thing that you said about singles ministry kind of feeling like a meat marker or, you know, an objectification at times. I think what I'm seeing now is that we're, we're maybe using the term young adult ministry as kind of a, a, a catch-all or, or, or another version of this. But you're quick to point out that even at the conference, and you've shared this with me, you know, on a couple occasions, that it isn't just young adults, though, that are single. And so when we talk about, um, you know, uh, demographics of people who are single, certainly yeah, there's, there's, we could talk about people in their 20s and 30s, but at the conference, you have folks who are in their, in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who come also. Um, and so making sure that it, it, and it's hard because you can't create something, of course, that, that meets everybody's needs, but at least trying to say, okay, if we're going to create different outreaches, um, then, then how do we do that um, in, yeah, in an intentional way that says, okay, like singles, young adults, but then maybe older adults are singled and, and trying to find different, different, maybe that's a harder group to try to, to try to acknowledge and, and reach out to. I'm not sure. Um, or maybe we just haven't been creative enough in how to, how to reach out to them. Um, yeah, I would say too. I mean, because like for the conference, like I said, and you mentioned there are um, singles of all ages who attend um, and it's kind of 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s plus. Uh, and, but for the, for, for example, our study groups, we, um, when people sign up, we do ask the age and then we try to put them in general age ranges, right? So the people in their twenties aren't with people, their parents age, things like that, right? Cause, it, cause right. it's a eight week series. And so you, we try and um, fit people that are in the same state of life together, um, the same stage. And then also too, I think addressing the issues of, for example, divorce recovery um, or people that have, are widowed, um, 
you know, annulments, things like that, that might be a bigger issue. I mean, it, but that's also an issue for people in their 30s and 40s as well. So it, that's not age um, specific either. But um, yeah, I think there's, you, you do have to be creative in, in how you, um, and, and definitely don't call them all young adults because I think what's happened is, is that people are afraid of the word single. And so basically you call somebody a young adult until they're like 39. Mm -hmm. Magically at 40, they're not. But if you're 35 and have five children, like my sister was, mm -hmm. she's married, you know, and has, you know, she has six now. But if you're in that situation, then of course you're not a young adult because you're married. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, wait, so if you're single, you're, you're young at 35, but if you're married, you're not like, come on, people like just use the word single. You're single for crying out loud, you know, <laughs> um, and too, like with theology on tap and mm -hmm. some of these other initiatives, like you're not going to find the people that are married, you know, even if you're 20, right. 25 and have a few kids, you're not going to be at theology on tap because yeah. if you have a free evening, you either want to have a date with your spouse or, you know, meet with other couples, or you just want to sleep. Right. right. So <laughs> that, that was my story. That was me. I mean, Kristen, no, we got married young. I know it, you know, and um, and that's not that was yeah, just circumstantial, I guess, that we we found each other at a young age. And so, yeah. So in my 20s, um, I, did, I couldn't go to any of those theology on taps and they're, they're all great. And the only time, honestly, the only times I would go is when I was invited to speak, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd go out and I give a talk and then I come home, you know, and and uh, and that was it. And they, I love them though. I thought that that that's great in community, great environment for 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 single young adults, and specifically, you know, to be able to get together. But you pose a great question, is which is to say, do we need to lose the verbiage of the word, or do we just need to redeem it, you know, and uh, and to have a better a better connotation when we talk about singles outreach, um, to not have it uh, have all of that that kind of connotation to it you know that it did it used to have yeah um, i think the only option is to redeem it because people mm -hmm. have told me anastasia you should change the name of the conference don't have the word single in there and i say what do you propose we call it and uh, one person actually said this to me and i think she was serious but I, I couldn't believe it she said um well maybe the national catholic unmarried persons conference <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh like no <laughs> that's worse that's worse so, yeah so, <laughs> you know, I think we just need to redeem it and realize there are a ton of awesome single people in the church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're coming together and, you know, how do we live our single lives fruitfully? We're learning, we have formation and we have fun while we're at it. And and some marriages do come from it. My mm -hmm. sister with the, has now the six kids. She met her husband at the 2009 conference that we had in Chicago. So that's um, great. And she's only one one case of it, you know, one, one example. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, people do marry and it's just a joyful environment so um yeah i would say let's definitely redeem it it's not a bad thing to be single yeah um, and we are we have our baptismal vocation that we're living so if we're not in married or celibate vocation that's okay let's live our baptismal vocation of holiness to the fullest and then we're going to be more joyful we're going to be more fruitful and probably have an easier time being in a relationship you know praise the lord well, great stuff, Anastasia. Okay, so uh, if people are interested in going to the conference or signing up for one of these groups that you've been speaking about, what, what's the best way that people can can access that? Sure, our website is nationalcatholicsingles.com. And yeah, we have all the information on there. We have our upcoming conference in September out in the DC area. 
Um, and I'm so grateful that you're going to be joining us to speak. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, you, you ruined it. I was about to make a joke. I was like, who, oh. you, got some, you got some speakers coming to that thing, don't you? Who, 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 who do I know? Who, who's, who's coming? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have a stellar lineup. So thanks for, thanks for being one of them. Um, Very grateful. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. And our, our theme is um, actually uh, discovering identity through relationship. And I think um, with John Paul II, the whole theme of self-gift is very important. And so I think um, just realizing that, you know, like our identity is not just this individualistic thing that we have, right? I think we have, tend to think of it in that way, but also that we are um, in relationship to other people. And um that even with the, the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you think about Father and Son or identity or their relationship um, words, the Father is the Father in relation to the Son and vice versa. So um, how important that is. And uh, we're exploring different aspects of it in the talks and also, you know, obviously the aspect of dating and relationships. And so it's gonna be an awesome conference and we have events before and afterwards as well to like see the area and, um, and you know, whether it be going downtown DC, seeing the Basilica, um, sort of like pilgrimage options or going hiking. Um, we have a whole lineup of great options with that too. So, um, so yeah, Sounds great. hopefully people can join us. And if not, we are going to have a virtual option as well. If it's impossible to get to DC, mm -hmm. um, we will be launching that uh, registration for that soon. So um, yeah, I, I hope people can join us and just help make this movement of single Catholics in the church be a powerful one and um, a fruitful one and living for the kingdom while we while we're still single. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, well we will have a link to that in the show notes for sure. All right, Anastasia. Well, final question to ask all my first time guests, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? Jesus Christ gives me hope. Uh, <laughs> the fact he is the victor, he is the conqueror and whatever is happening in our lives whatever is difficult whatever is painful whatever our past is like he is the one that brings good out of that brings fruit out of that brings joy um, and victory out of that and so i think just keeping my eyes fixed on him that's what's been really helpful for me as a single woman um just realizing that that christ is the ultimate bridegroom that my relationship with him um, is the most important thing and, and that's fruitful and then the rest of my relationships flow out of that and so that's also what gives me joy because believe me if you had told me you know 20 years ago that i would still be single you know when i started the conference even i think i just would have died of a heart attack um god bless you <laughs> so, so but hard. i can say god is faithful and my life has been good and he has been good to me and so and blessed me greatly so i um you know just keep your eyes fixed on him that's 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 my advice and live in the present moment amen Amen. Wonderful. Okay. Well, praise the Lord. So great answer. Great conversation. Um, Anastasia, thank you so much for coming on the show. God bless you and the work that you're doing, outreaching to singles. And uh, we look forward to, to being there at the conference and seeing you in September. Amen. Well, thank you. And likewise. Amen. it everybody i enjoyed this conversation thoroughly with anastasia and i hope that you did too looking forward to being out there at the conference if you can't make it then please i just ask you to please pray for us pray for the attendees pray for the speakers including myself pray for anastasia and for her team and all the hard work that they are doing behind the scenes to make this thing a reality 
So I'm incredibly grateful for these opportunities as they present themselves in my life. But if you are there and you're a listener to of this show and you're at the conference, then please, please, please come up, introduce yourself. I love being able to meet listeners. You know, again, you do this stuff in a room with somebody on Zoom and you put this out into the internet and so you never know where the show lands. And so I'm, I'm always grateful for when listeners come up to me and tell me that they appreciated a particular episode. So if that's you, I look forward to seeing you in person. If not, then I look forward to meeting all new faces, all sorts of new people at the conference. So pray for us. It's going to be a great time. And I pray that you're having a great day. So God bless everybody. Be good.